Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. I am consistently amazed at how well the Spirit prepares the ground for the Word through the worship. Amen? Um, if you've got a Bible or a trustworthy app that works too, um, turn to Galatians chapter 3. I'm wary of moving too far away from the message of the forgiveness of sins through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ because it's the middle. This is the center of the Christian faith, no matter which branch you belong to. That's the heart. Uh, that, that's the message that we proclaim that brings eternal life to anybody who hears with faith, right? The good news is that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, our sins are forgiven, and we've been given the gift of eternal life. But I'm leaving out a very important part of the gospel, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I, I've never heard this verse preached on. So I'm going to start here, um, Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 say, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. What's that? It's the cross. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let me just play dot to dot here once again. The cross of Christ was so that you might receive the Holy Spirit. And there are dots in between about forgiveness of sins, about receiving eternal life, about responding with faith. But Paul essentially says the cross is for this purpose, so that you might receive the Spirit by faith. And I don't think we're supposed to miss this. <laughs> but it's possible to miss this. And this is part of why the book of Acts was written, is because you can get the gospel, and you can get saved by hearing the gospel and not get the part that you're supposed to get about the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we're at this morning. Before we go further, let's joined together in prayer that God would have his way with us. Amen? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to you for going to the cross. So grateful to you for bearing our transgressions, you who'd done no wrong. So grateful that you've provided us innocence an innocent standing before the Father 
and a growing outward innocence as we continue to walk with you. I pray that you'd also grant us understanding and an experience of your spirit because it's what you paid for. Be glorified in granting to us that which has been purchased for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the cross and the Holy Spirit. Giving the Spirit was the goal of the cross. We just read this. Galatians 3, 14, 15. Giving the Spirit was the goal of the cross. Why? We, we look at this from two perspectives. One, what do you get out of it? But more importantly, what does he get out of it? What does God get out of you receiving the Spirit? But we'll start with the other. What do you get out of the Spirit? You can have your sins forgiven without being baptized in the Spirit, right? Acts is our witness that this happens. So what, what would you gain by having this? How about equipment? Anybody ever hear of D.L. Moody? He was an evangelist and a very effective one. And he'd have meetings and people would get saved by the dozens. And I, I would be pretty satisfied with that compared to what I usually get, right? And so after one of his meetings, a couple of women stopped him and said, Brother Moody, we're praying for you. He said, oh yeah, why? And they said, we're praying that you had received the baptism of the Spirit. And he says, and what would I need that for? I'm already bringing dozens of people to Christ every time I have a meeting. A little bit of pride, maybe? And they didn't really give him much of an intellectually satisfying answer, but he said, okay, well, thanks for your prayers. And a couple days later, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to really talk about the experience much, but I'm going to talk about the after effects. From that time on, dozens of people didn't get saved in his meetings anymore. Hundreds did. And so I just want to say to you that we can't afford to minister without him. We can't afford to do what he's called us to do in the strength and equipping that we have in our natural selves. So part of what's in it for you is equipment to do what you're called to do. You have a responsibility to minister in the name of Jesus and not the power unless the Holy Spirit comes upon you and satisfies what you lack, which is like everything. So th that's what you get out of it. Oh, and did I mention that in his presence is fullness of joy? And there's this satisfaction of spirit that you will lack if you don't have the spirit dwelling in you. And if any of you are just opposed to having a lot more joy in your lives, I guess you don't need to hear what I've got to say. That's a good answer. I like that. I was getting ready to kick him out. That's even better. 
So what does God get out of your being filled by the Spirit? Why would that be the goal of the cross? Because your joy doesn't seem to me to be a big enough thing for the sinless Son of God to go on the cross and suffer and die. If your joy is the end all and be all, that doesn't, I mean, that might appeal to our American sensibilities, but I would suggest to you that that's not the case. What does God get? Not that your joy is irrelevant to him, but what he gets with the habitation of the Spirit in you is he gets complete ownership, and that is what he paid for. He paid that you might be entirely his. And you're not unless you're the home of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished. And he breathes his last breath. And the veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom. Something about the relationship of the presence of God and the world is changed. And there's a couple different possibilities. Was God planning a revolution in temple worship? From now on, whenever anybody came into the temple, the presence of God was just, I mean, all over all the worshipers? Historically, that's not the case. Then why tear the veil? Because he says, I'm not going to be confined and restricted to one little room inside a temple anymore. I'm coming out there. And that's part of where we come in. We're part of the out there. And he's come to tabernacle among us. God tore the veil because he's invading the earth. And the original mandate to take dominion, we just talked about that a minute ago. We were completely ill-equipped to take dominion over the earth, left to our own devices. But when the Spirit comes in, then he empowers and he gives the wisdom and he gives the knowledge in order to do what he would have done here. Because I expect you've shared this experience with me when you see clearly that there's a thing that needs to be done. And you just scratch your head and go, but God, I I see that there needs to be a change, but what do I do here? What, What change can I affect? What influence can I have to make anything better than it is right now? And you lack wisdom? Where's that come from? God who gives generously to all without finding fault? How? By his spirit? Let's go to John chapter 1. Again, I I don't want to get too far away from talking about Jesus. And some of what we're going to cover is probably going to confuse you. Um, If it doesn't, then I'll need you to come and set me straight because it's going to confuse me. 
because we're dealing with things that are bigger than ourselves. And when you deal with the revelation of the Godhead, as far as I can tell, he's simply not comprehensible by such as us. And so we're going to be reaching around the edges of what we can and can't quite grasp. And if you're not comfortable, it's because it's it's him. And it's a reverent thing to not be comfortable with God. John chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. John bore witness... I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. That's Jesus. The Spirit remained like a dove on Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That's quite a connection. Do you think that the average populace in Jerusalem was looking for somebody to baptize with the Spirit at the time of John? No, I, I think this kind of came out of left field for them. Somebody who baptizes with the Spirit. What, were we expecting that? And, and maybe they should have been because uh, of the Joel 2 prophecy that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. But but they just, I, I think they weren't. Because like a lot of us, they found a lot of the, the, what was found in the scripture to be just a, a little bit, I don't know what I'm supposed to get from this. <laughs> like, like this week, I was reading Ezekiel chapter 1, and he sees this powerful vision of four living creatures with two wings that they cover themselves with and two that they fly with, except for when they're flying, the wings are up. And so it's not like they're flapping. It's just, I, I don't know. And they're all covered with eyes. And there are these wheels within wheels in which the spirit of the creatures is and they move together. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, I bet that means something. to somebody, but but I'm lost. I, I mean, heaven is beyond us. And above these creatures is this expanse like the sky and a throne surrounded by a pavement like a rainbow. Okay, we just need to see it, right? And reading about it is a little bit disorienting. But we're, sorry, we're talking about Jesus. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. You know the title that we give to Jesus that, that he owns? Christ. Remember what it means? Anointed one. John was sent by God to baptize in order that he might recognize the Christ. He sees the anointing. He sees the anointing of the Spirit taking place on Jesus. And you notice, this is the beginning of the Gospel of John. 
the beginning of the story of Jesus. How old's Jesus at this point? He's like 30, right? And you don't have any record of him doing anything really out there before that. He's not doing miracles. He's not preaching sermons. He's not gathering disciples. He's not casting out demons. He's not doing any of what we associate with his ministry. So I just want to draw this connection. Jesus gets baptized. The spirit, the anointing rests on him. He is truly the Christ at that point. And right after that, he goes about demonstrating what it is to be the Christ, doing all the things I just told you about. And I would remind you that Jesus said, these things and greater shall you do if you believe. And so I would submit to you that the pathway to receiving the Spirit is by believing in Jesus. This is not a part B to the gospel. It's actually the same thing. And you receive the same Spirit by the same means that you received salvation, by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, it's last year now, we're kind of playing with Isaiah 61 quite a bit. And I, I think that it's a good game, if you can call it that. Probably the wrong word. But I, I am going to go to Isaiah 61. And it, it's, this is like the, the quintessential text for how you're supposed to recognize the Christ when he comes. And I'll, I'll point that out. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news. See that, Christ, anointed one. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion. Pause. So far, all that's about the Christ, right? Now, look at what happens here with the pronoun. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Pause. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is anointed in order to do a work among a company of people. And that would be us. Not just us, but certainly us. And part of the work that he intends to do in us is to establish durable righteousness. Oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, watch this. This is still about us. What happens among us because Jesus has been anointed? They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. We have a work that comes about through us because of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And you know what they call us? What we call ourselves? Christians. 
What does that mean? Little Christs. Yeah. Yeah. And is it true? <laughs> or, or are we calling ourselves the wrong names? Are we like Christ? To say so indicates an anointing. Have you got it? Is his hand on you such that you do these works and greater? Because that's what we declare about ourselves every time we say we're Christians. After the Spirit came to rest on Jesus, he began to preach and perform miracles. Who is the Spirit? I say who and not what, because you can go wrong saying that the Spirit is just an impersonal force. It's just the power of God. Well, yeah, the Spirit is the power of God, but he's also a person who can be pleased or offended, who can be quenched or welcomed. I want to go to Romans 8. This is the first place where I'm going to issue official permission to get confused if you need to. Romans 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, let, let me just clarify some things. We're talking about two separate things here, about salvation and being filled with the Spirit. But because he said anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, I would submit to you that if you're saved at all, you didn't get saved without the influence of the Spirit. You don't get saved. Your, your heart doesn't change toward the gospel so that you enter in and lay hold of what he's made available without the Spirit coming into a person and causing that to take place. So I, I'm not saying that you've never had anything to do with the Spirit if you're saved and not filled. I am saying there's more for you. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, hold on. He just said, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, why is he changing terminology like this? Spirit, and then Spirit of God, and then Spirit of Christ. Are we talking about the same thing here? Yeah, yeah, we are. And then verse 10, but if Christ is in you, well, is it the Spirit of Christ or is it Christ? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead 
who raised Jesus from the dead? Yeah, and, and Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I have authority for my Father to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back. The Spirit raised Jesus. The Father raised Jesus. And Jesus raised himself. And I dare you to wrap your head around that. I can't. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's the spirit. It's Christ. It's the spirit of Christ. It's the spirit of God. And it's the same spirit by whichever of those names you want to call him. How does Jesus come to live in your heart? By the Spirit. Which Spirit? Spirit of Christ, obviously. I thought we said the Spirit of God. Same one, yes. All right, questions. So how do we receive the Spirit? Because that's what we've been driving at, right? I'm going to go back to Galatians. Paul had such a gracious way with words. You know, so careful not to step on anybody's toes. Like Galatians 3.1. Oh, foolish Galatians. It's a great opening, right? They just love him. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What does that mean? He preached the gospel. Verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How do you receive the Spirit? By hearing with faith. Remember when Peter went to see Cornelius the centurion? And he did what he does. He, he went to this guy's living room and it's full of people. And he's like, oh, I guess it's time to preach the gospel. And he starts in on that and just gets a little freaked out because suddenly the Holy Spirit's poured out on all these Gentiles. And he's like, I didn't think that was supposed to happen, but okay. And I would submit to you that that's exactly how that's supposed to happen, that the, the pouring out of the Spirit is supposed to happen in conjunction with the preaching of the gospel. And I say that because I've been in a lot of church services where the focus is so strongly on getting filled with the Spirit that Jesus gets lost somewhere in the mix. And that's pretty irreverent, I think, to not give honor to him who paid for the gift. We can't not go to Acts 2. Now, you know where I'm going. Um, I'm going to read verse 33. It says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then verse 38 and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
cause and effect. You do the cause, you get the effect. Now, is this magic? Here's what magic is. You can do something in order to manipulate supernatural power into moving. So is this magic? You just do the baptism ritual and suddenly the hand of God moves and the Spirit of God is poured out. Is that what we're seeing? I'm going to say no. This is not magic. Because the lie about magic is that you have any authority to influence what happens in the spirit realm. The lie about magic that draws people in, it's this lure of power. You can have power, you can have influence, you can do things that normal people can't do, but wouldn't you like to? And when somebody's snared by that, they find that there are indeed supernatural powers at work, and they are not in charge of them. They're slaves. And it's wicked and cruel. This is not magic. This is not you coming into control. You're not the Lord. This is about God saying, I want to have my way in you. I want to be king. I want to be Lord. And the only way that that happens is if I take up my residence in you. You've got to receive the Spirit. And so let me tell you how. So this thing about believing, this thing about being baptized is not you climbing into the driver's seat. This is about you climbing out and saying, I was never anything worthy of the name king, and I need a king. I need to be ruled. And so I am done here. I'm a passenger from here on out. Would you rule in me? And that's the, the question, that's the response to which the Holy Spirit comes in. Let me give you a little testimony. I was 13 years old, and I was at a Bible camp in Northern California in the Redwoods. Pretty. And as soon as I get there, I'm hearing the voice of the Spirit, and he's not tickling my ears. He says, I want you to preach the gospel to Julia. Now, I liked this girl. I liked her a lot. And gospel preaching wasn't really on my agenda because I wanted her to like me, you know? And in my 13-year-old wisdom, I thought preaching the gospel is probably not the way to earn her affections. And so the Holy Spirit's saying, preach. Well, that week in my personal devotions, I was in Galatians 4. Sorry, Philippians 4. And I highlighted this passage starting in verse 6. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That was good, and I highlighted it. I live by that verse, by the way. Problem was, I'm not enjoying that peace because I'm having a little fight with the Almighty. Guess who's going to win? He's saying, preach, and I'm going, no way, 
Would you please stop messing with me? And he won't give up. And I'm miserable. And he's saying, preach. I don't want to. So Thursday night chapel, I have no memory of what was preached there, but I surrendered myself. And I said, I give up. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll preach the gospel to this girl. And after the service, I opened my Bible back up to Philippians 4, and I reread those precious verses. And then I got up, and I'm like the last one to leave the room. And my first footstep outside the door, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding began to descend on me. And it was just me and him. Every step I took further away from that chapel, there was more and more and more. And it, it was so good, I, I couldn't stand it. I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I, I just didn't know what to do with all this peace and joy. It was like a river running through me. And I just began praising God out loud. And this odd thing happened that I didn't understand at all at the time, kind of at the peak of this experience, there is this physical sensation of warm oil being poured over my head and flowing down. What is that? It's the anointing. He equipped me to preach the gospel to this girl, which I did, by the way, when I got back. I called her up and preached the gospel, and she did not get saved over the phone. But that's beside the point. What he wants from us is all of us. He had to have my heart. He had to have my obedience. He wouldn't rest without it. So, again, Romans 8 9, anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, rather, does not belong to him. If you're saved, you have something in the Spirit of Christ. Something. Is there more? I, I would say yes. Always. Have you had a real experience with the Spirit? Yes? Great. Is there more? Always. How much capacity do you have for God? I hope more than last year. You know the saying, nature abhors a vacuum? In other words, if people move down to Peru and clear some jungle and build a house, it's a constant project to keep the jungle back from the little spot that you're trying to live in. And if you move out for a year and then come back, it's jungle again. Nature abhors a vacuum. The supernatural also abhors a vacuum. And if you empty yourself more, he will fill you more. So you don't get saved without a measure of the Spirit, but I'm going to back, or I guess I'm moving forward to Acts chapter 8. Um... Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Um, verse 12, 
When they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now verse 14, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Pause. Do you think Philip had the Holy Spirit? Right answer. Yeah, yeah. Philip would not have been... I skipped over the verses that talked about him performing miracles, and you just don't do that on your own. He was clearly filled with the Spirit, incredibly fruitful ministry. And yet, when Philip preaches the gospel, yeah, people get saved, which is fabulous, and nobody's receiving the Spirit. What is up with that? It appears to me that because Peter and John were called on to go up there so that they might lay their hands on them and they might receive the Spirit, that not everybody has an, an anointing to impart the Spirit. Why would that be? You receive a gift, you should be able to give them away, right? Well, that would be my wisdom. And my wisdom is worth about that much. But God has composed the body in such a way that I can't ever say I don't need you. I can't ever look at what's been ported to me and say, that is enough, and I'm going to do all of your jobs. That's never the case. We're always in this spot where however gifted you are, you still need the rest of us. And so Philip was given this gift of being an evangelist and not given the gift of imparting the, the Spirit by laying on his hands like Peter and John did. And I would suggest to you that it's the same today, that not everybody who has the Spirit has an anointing to impart the Spirit, but that we need those folks. So, here's another question. John 16, 7, Jesus says, I tell you I'm going away and it makes you sad. But unless, it, it, he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For unless I go away, the Spirit won't be given. So, I just want to ask, why not? <laughs> I mean, there we were in John chapter 1, and, and you see it all happening. Jesus, the Son of God, is being baptized, and the Spirit of God descends in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father comes from heaven. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. You can't tell me they can't all be in one space at one time. They were right there. So why does Jesus have to be taken away before the Spirit comes down to indwell a community of people? And we already saw in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, that we receive the Spirit by faith, right? What gets in the way of faith? Sight. How hard would it be for us to have faith in Jesus if he were bodily here? Remember what Jesus said to Thomas? 
you've seen, therefore you believe. Blessed are those who believe though they've not seen. That blessing's for you and for me. And if you receive the Spirit only by faith, he had to get out so that faith would flourish. And again, Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. He wants to be pleased with you, so he left. <laughs> and the good news is, is because he's pleased with you, he's coming back. The faith will be rewarded by seeing the one in whom we've believed and hoped. Luke chapter 11. Verse 13, Jesus says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How do you receive the Spirit? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Well, how do you ask? All right, this morning, 2.15. This is an hour where I dearly love to be sleeping. But I have this three-year-old son. Uh, Isaac turned three on the 14th. And as part of the reward of getting older, he's learning the painful lesson of sleeping not in our room. And so, 2.15, Mama... Mama, Mama, and it's not stopping. It's uh, it's going on and on, and I I realize that this is not the first night this has happened. By the way, I, I realize this is going to require some intervention, and we've hired Maranatha to be an intervener, which is great. But I know she's there, but but this is not. The, the sound is not stopping, and there are other people also who would love to be asleep at 2.15. So I, I got up, and I, I won't go on and on about what happened this morning, but what I mean is, is it's okay for us to be the children and to ask for what we need from the Father like children, because Jesus said this is how you ought to pray, Right? And he told the story of the man who's asleep in bed with his family and his neighbor knocks on the door. I would be a little bit more prone to ignore a neighbor than my own son at 2.15 a.m. But I, I think this is transferable to say that if we approach God like needy children in the middle of the night, he won't turn us away. And what I mean is, don't just whisper a word. Open your mouth and cry out. Hebrews 5, 7, I, I can't quote it. I'm going to go there because this is such an important principle. When I was growing up, my parents taught me to sit in church waiting for the service to begin 
quietly thinking about God and the work of Christ on the cross because that's what it meant to be reverent. And they weren't entirely wrong. There is something reverent about be still and know that I'm God. But it's not the whole picture. Um, Hebrews 5, 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. So, I like to define reverence this way. Reverence is acting as if God is actually in the room with you. And if you really need something from him and he's right there, you ask and don't stop asking until you receive. This is one of Grace's least favorite parts about being a mother. Because all day long, she's got, Mom, 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 Mom. Why is that? Because children are lovely little, needy little people. And they've learned by experience that all of their needs will eventually be met if you say Mom enough times. is the Father not much more able to give us what we need? And what do we need more than the Spirit? So, I would encourage you to say our Father a lot until you receive what you need. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Spirit to those who ask him? And this is how you ask. Don't be subtle if you want to be reverent. Okay, the time has come. I need help up here. Let me tell you who. If you've received the Holy Spirit and believe that you have an anointing for laying on your hands so that others also receive, I need you here. Now, praise God. Jesus offered up his body to to be broken for you so that your sins would be forgiven so that you might be filled with his spirit entirely owned by him and fully equipped by him. So I'm going to throw this out. Today, if you've believed in Jesus but not received the spirit, come and these men of God will lay their hands on you so that you receive the gift. Or, if you've had an experience with the Spirit of Christ, but feel the need to be refreshed in Him, you come too. I want to finish by just pronouncing the blessing on you that we sang earlier. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.